Tonight's reading uh, from the Old Testament comes from Psalm chapter 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song on my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. The scroll of the book it is written of me, and a light to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance with my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing our series, Psalms for Every Season. And tonight, we look at Psalm 40, Song for Those Waiting on the Lord. God, in his grace, has given us a song for every season, for every occasion, and uh, even as we wait on him. And sometimes, as we will see, it's very difficult to do. He gives us a song. Why? Because songs like stories can shape us. They can shape our faith. They can help us to keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Christ himself. So join me as we pray, and we'll dive into the text together. God, we come now and bow our hearts before you. We confess that you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? So we come now asking that you would feed us, strengthen our faith, spirit come, and apply these words to our hearts that we might see, know, believe, and obey your word. In Christ's name, amen. Eight years ago, around this time of the year when I was in St. Louis, I received a call from my brother. And usually, this means only one thing, NBA trade rumors and how the Washington (laughs) Wizards need to get rid of their general manager. So when I saw that he called, I picked up in a usual manner and said something along the lines of, Sup, man? Please tell me the Wizards did something. There was a long pause. 
And to my surprise, the sound of my brother weeping. And I could barely make out the words, Dan is dead. Dan was a gifted musician. He was, in fact, on a world tour with Regina Spector when he died. But he wasn't just a good musician. He was a great friend. He served in the youth group praise team with us, and he had to tolerate us. And I remember spending countless summer days talking about soccer, his favorite sports, and playing basketball, his least favorite sports, and watching goofy movies from Blockbuster. The news left me shocked and numb, and I felt like someone punched me in the gut. I went from denial to question, back to denial, wondering why and how this could happen. This is what David means by the pit, the miry bog. Although there are significant historical and cultural differences between David and us, we all know what it's like to be in the pit, to feel helpless and in despair. It's when the person you're in a relationship with says, this is not going to work. It's not you. It's me. It's when your boss pulls you into her office and says, we're downsizing and we're going to have to let you go. It's when the doctor calls and says the test came back positive and it's stage four cancer. And when non-Christians hear Christians talk about this very topic, invariably it raises the larger theological question of how can a good God author evil? They argue, since evil exists, God cannot be all-powerful or good. But the Bible consistently paints a picture of God who is both, who is both powerful and good. From the very opening pages where God creates, and in the end where God recreates the world that he has committed himself to, we see that God is powerful and good. And in between, we see the cross and the empty tomb, a down payment to secure to guarantee that he will be everything he promised to be and he will do everything he promised to do. In other words, the Bible is absolutely clear that God is powerful and cares deeply about us. Yet there is evil. There is pain. There is suffering. And all this can mean only one thing. God must have a compelling reason for allowing evil and suffering in this world. And we know what that reason is, to shape us into the moral likeness of Christ. But knowing the purpose behind our pain doesn't necessarily mitigate the embodied experience, now does it? Sometimes those trite religious platitudes have a way of really getting under our skin, and the last thing we need is another good word. And when we find ourselves swallowed up by pain, Psalm 40 exhorts us to wait on the Lord and his deliverance. To not turn to others to deliver us. To not turn to substance to numb our pain. 
or to distract ourselves to avoid reality or to resolve that we're going to work harder and make sure something like this never happens. Rather, the Bible says, wait on the Lord. Wait on his deliverance. Now, there's nothing wrong with leaning into community or even distracting ourselves from time to time from the reality that really hurts. But there is a clear difference between turning to God versus turning to things. We know it. It's in our hearts. And waiting is hard, isn't it? Our society makes it even worse. It's as if all of us are allergic to waiting. But God makes us wait because he accomplishes his purpose in our waiting. In fact, the Bible says waiting is a part of God's good work of grace in us. And there are no shortcuts. And the Bible is replete with examples of men and women who waited on the Lord. Noah, while waiting for that rain, waited on the Lord. Hannah, waiting for a child, Waited on the Lord. Joseph, while waiting in prison, waited on the Lord, so on and so forth. And it is in our waiting that God comes to meet us to accomplish his purpose. And that's why, regardless of what station in life we find ourselves in, what kind of pit we find ourselves in, even now, tonight, God wants us to wait on him. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Two things quickly tonight. First, it means to surrender. Waiting slows us down. Whether we are standing in a line for a driver's license or sitting at a table waiting for a server, we don't have much choice now, do we? And when we slow down, we become more aware. One time... I walked to DuPont Circle from where I live. It was a 40-minute walk, and I never did it again. (laughs) But the one time I did, I discovered so many things on Massachusetts Avenue, like the famous red phone booth outside of the British Embassy. You guys seen this one? No? (laughs) You guys are in a rush like me. I never noticed this because I was trying to get to work like, you know, As fast as I can, right? You're not distracted with what's around you. You're just trying to get there. And for the same reason, God slows us down to reveal our inner life. We all know this. The default setting of our hearts is to latch on to the idols and their empty promises. David refers to them here in verse 4 when he says, Blessed is a man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go straight after a lie. And because we're not always aware of our wandering heart, God draws our attention to it. Why? Because the goal of following Jesus is not information, but transformation. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author, once said, A disciple is a learner, not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, rather at the work site of a craftsman. Isn't that what Jesus said to his first disciples? He said, come. Come. Be with me. Learn from me. Spend time with me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
It is not so much that we need to amass more information to get our theological ducks in order. Now, those things are important because they've, they help us to understand God, the world that he made, and ourselves, and to respond to all of those things appropriately. But God is interested in our hearts first and foremost. And the greatest commandment testifies to that. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And how often do we Washingtonians need to hear this? Because we live in a city that prizes information, and often we can reduce our faith into a set of doctrine. But God calls us to a deeper understanding of his word, the kind that fosters compassion, empathy, faithfulness. In exposing the truth about our inner life, God desires repentance. He shows us the glimpse of what's really going on beneath the surface, not to shame us, not to guilt us, but to call us to repentance. You see, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us. And that's good news, amen? Can you imagine if God forgave us when we repented of our sin? Meaning we not only confess, but turn from it, and we no longer do it. If God waited until we repented to forgive, I don't know if God would have forgiven any of my sins. He forgives when we confess, but he desires truth in the inner part, which means he longs for us to repent, to turn, and to face him, to embrace his ways. You see, if we don't pay attention to the deeper inner reality of the heart and persist in the default setting to turn to the idols and to their lies, we miss out on God's blessing for us. The blessing of being like Christ. And that's why God brings us to this place of waiting again and again. Because becoming like Christ takes time. It does. And that's why David says in verse 1 that we must wait on the Lord and not lose heart. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I don't know about you, but growing up, I often prayed, Lord, give me patience now. (laughs) God doesn't always work like that. No, he grinds it out. And he forms Christ in us as we learn to wait, to see our hearts, and to repent. And as we slow down, become aware, and repent of the idolatrous hearts we have, we realize that his will, his plan, and his time are better. And that's when we learn to submit, to surrender, to let go of our agenda, what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And we learn to, with open hands, receive his good and perfect plan for us. And the fruit of surrender is rest. The fruit of surrender is rest. When we let go of our agendas and try to control everything, people and circumstance, so we can get what we want. And that's exhausting, isn't it? 
when we let go of those things and we hold on to the promise that God is for us, not against us, that he has never dropped the ball and said, oops, I forgot all about him. Oh, no. When we begin to understand that and embrace that, we can rest. We can rest in the confident assurance that regardless of the details or difficulties we face in this life, God knows. And he cares deeply for us and is actively involved in our life. It's a mystery, but it's true. And if we really let this message marinate in our hearts, we realize that we never have to settle for second best. You see, we all keep score, don't we? Grass is always greener on the other side. And we're always peeking over the fence to see what's going on over there. And that creates jealousy, discontentment. And then we begin to question God and his goodness. It happens so quickly. But if we really understand that God is in the details of our lives, that we are where we are, not because he forgot about us, but he intentionally led us here like a good shepherd, we can find true contentment. So next time God slows you down against your will, makes you wait when you're in a hurry and rush to get somewhere, see it as a blessing. And pray. Pray for a posture of surrender. Because he wants to give you good things. He wants to form Christ in you. Second, it means to obey. It means to obey. For David, the pit is not some distant memory as we see here in Psalm 40. He concludes the psalm with these words in verse 17. Remember, David is a king. And yet he says, as for me, I am poor and needy. Something has happened and he is not at his best. He looks around and, and despite all the, the power, the influence and resource that he had at his disposal, he is now at a place where he would consider himself poor and needy. And again, he waits on the Lord. The Hebrew word for wait is translated in several ways, one of which is to look in hope, in expectation, and in eagerness. And how can David wait for God in this way? How can David wait with such hope and expectation? Because of God's past faithfulness. David can look back at all the ways that God was faithful to him. And despite his present circumstance, he can look ahead and find great hope. He declares in verse 5, You, God, have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Here David is in the middle of a pit. And he could easily look at his surroundings and define God through them, but instead he looks beyond them to see, to recollect, to remember all the ways that God showed up and delivered him. And not just once or twice, David says, there more than can be told. He has been faithful. 
And David knows that when he looks at his present circumstance, that he is not without hope and that he does not have to despair because God will show up again. And David knows no matter how many times he finds himself in the pit, he can never exhaust God's mercy. And it is this hope that moves David to obedience. You see, waiting on the Lord is not waiting in the doctor's office. And if you're anything like me, you get really interested in these like outdated gardening magazines, right? You're like, oh yeah, that's my problem. No wonder I can't grow anything in my backyard. No, no, no. Waiting on the Lord is not just passing time. Waiting on the Lord is expecting God to be what he promised to be. And in light of that, you are then moved to action, to obedience. My girls love their camp, Camp Ligonier, which they go to every summer. Now, for some of you, uh, you might be surprised that I have more than one kid, because uh, Daniel is the one that makes all the highlights. But yes, I do have more than one kid, Daniel. And uh, my two girls love their camp. And I know, I know it because they start talking about this like months in advance. This camp is in June. In February, they'll start planning. They make a list. And it's a very thorough list of everything they need, including all the different types of candy they need for this camp. And it's easy to see why they love this camp, because they go jet skiing. I'm like, sign me up for that camp. I, I'll go. Is there an age limit? <laughs> they go jet skiing, swimming, horseback riding, cave diving. I'm like, that's like everything I have never done. <laughs> I could check off so many things, right? In my bucket list, if I were to go and join them in this camp. I think David refers to this in verse 6 when he says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. When David says, you have given me an open ear, he means God opened his ears to hear and obey the voice of the Lord, even in the pit. It is the mercy of God, the very presence of his spirit that opens our ears to hear the promises and let those words so deep into our hearts until it generates faith in us and moves us to obedience. But David doesn't stop there. He goes even further and he says in verse 8, I delight in your word. Can you imagine? You are in the worst. Whatever. And you fill in the blank. Your life is falling apart. Relationships are not working out. Career advancement, not the way you thought it would be. And David says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. See, David is in the pit, swallowed up by pain, fear, and all kinds of things that we can relate to. Yet he finds great hope. Hope that leads to faith. Faith, evidence, and obedience. Why? Because he can look back at all the ways that God has 
been everything he promised to be. People of God, you and I, we have more reasons to be confident in the Lord than David ever had. You see, David looked back and he saw a series of God showing up, rescuing him from the pit, delivering him from his enemies, protecting him from harm. But when you and I, we look back, we see God who not only comes down to deliver us, but he goes into the very pits of hell itself. The very pit of hell and death, he goes to rescue us. You see, David could have never imagined that God would lay aside his glory to take on human flesh, to become one of us, to live in this broken world, to struggle as you and I would. And know the struggle of fighting sin to the very bitter end. To go to the cross. To become sin for us. And receive the full wrath of God. David could have never imagined. That his king, his God would do this for his people. You know it's interesting. As David cried and waited patiently on the Lord. So did Jesus. Jesus cried out and waited patiently for the Lord. Lord, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Through unjust trial, in the face of rejection and mockery, and ultimately in the face of death, Jesus waited patiently for God to deliver him. And on the third day, God showed up and delivered him from hell. And because of this gospel truth, you and I can be confident that whatever prayers we utter, whatever cries we cry from the pit, he hears. You see, it was never about how good, how sincere, how intense our cry to God can be. No, it has always been about how good, how merciful, how gracious, how faithful our God is. And the moment we utter a prayer, he comes running. In fact, even a word is formed and uttered. He sees it in our hearts and he comes running. And he presses his ear right to our lips. He hears. And so regardless of where you are, People of God, he has given us this psalm, Psalm 40, to remember that even in the pit we are not alone because we have a Savior who's gone there and done that. And the funny thing is, he is patient with us now. He waits on us. We kick, we scream, we resist, we look for easy way out. We're not getting on with God's plan. We want our own plan, our own time. We have our own agenda. Yet Jesus is patient with us and he waits for us. We have a God who suffers alongside of us. And we're never going to get it right on the side of heaven. But we will never exhaust his mercy. So let us, as we remember this truth, Surrender to the Lord and obey. Obey. Even when we find ourselves in difficult and painful situations. Let's pray together.
Father, we come and and we praise you for your mercy for us. Thank you, God, that we're never far from you. We're only a prayer away. You hear us. You come. You're present with us. You bear with us. And you're committed to us through and through. Help us to know that and believe that and help us to move to obedience. In Christ's name, amen.